Open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to finish up, or at least begin to finish up, this last idol that we've been talking about. We're talking about idols, I-D-O-L-S, not American idol, <laughs> but God's idols, or idols of God. We've looked in 1 John and we saw that, first of all, what this is all leading up to, the reason this is so important, is that God is calling us to know Him, to know Jesus, who Jesus is, not about Him, not facts about Him, because if we gave a quiz right now, you'd all get it right. You'd all know that Jesus is the Son of God. You'd all know that He's our Savior. You'd all know that He died for us. But do you really know Him? I mean, know who He is. Because when you really know who He is, it changes, that knowledge changes you and changes your relationship with Him. But we saw in 1 John, the end of 1 John, that, that He teaches about, that, that, we're, that when He wrote that, He said, we are in dark days. The world is under the sway or the control of the evil one. Well, it's more under control today than it was when John wrote those words. And that the day is darker today and it's getting darker. There are those that believe it's going to turn around, that everything's going to get wonderful. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I believe the Bible teaches it's going to get darker and darker and darker, but the church is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger if we listen to Him because the light is going to shine. His light's going to shine in the darkness. We ought to be excited and privileged to realize that God's chosen us to live in this particular time. That what an exciting time to live in because God is going to show, has to show forth Himself like never before in order to accomplish what has to be accomplished. So it's a great time to live, but we've got to heed what God's saying to us so that we can be prepared and equipped and not miss the day of His visitation. So we've seen that in the midst of this discussion, at the end of it, He comes to this and He says, Therefore put away idols, I-D-O-L-S. So we went to Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to go back there in a few minutes. We went to Exodus chapter 20, and we saw that after God had called the people out of Egypt and brought them out of Egypt, He brought them to the foot of a mountain, came down on top of this mountain, told Moses to bring them out so that He could meet the people, and they could see who it was that brought them out of the land of Egypt. And so God comes down on that mountain, the people of Israel come around the base of that mountain, and then they see the fire and lightning on the top of the mountain, and then they're afraid and they run away and tell Moses, you go tell us what God has to say, and we will do it. Well, they lied because he told them what God had to say, and they didn't do it. But don't pick up rocks to throw at them yet, because we might have done that once or twice ourselves. Oh, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, I'll do whatever you want me to do, and the next thing he tells you to do is, well, pray about it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's part of our humanness that we have to overcome. And then we saw that God then called Moses up on this mountain. And he hands to him or gives to him what we call the Ten Commandments. And the first commandment is, I am the Lord. It's very significant the way he says this. I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What he's saying there is, I'm your source. I'm the one that delivered you. I want you to know that I'm the one that has delivered you. I want you to know that I'm the one that's providing for you. I want you to know that I'm the one that is protecting you. I want you to know that I'm the one who is guiding your life and directing your steps. I want you to know that everything you have comes from me. Your identity comes from me. Your sense of well-being comes from me. Your source of all the provisions in your life come from me. Now, God will use people and He will use things, but He wants you to understand and acknowledge that He's the source. 
So you may be fortunate and blessed to have a good job right now. That job is not your source. God is your source. So if you were to lose that job tomorrow, you would not lose your source. God would just find another means to provide it to you. But God is your source. But not only is He source of you, your financial provision, but He's also the source of every other need you have in your life. And any time we put something else in that place in our hearts above God as our source, we've created an idol. And so the underlying principle God says here is, I want you to recognize I'm the one that's delivered you. I'm the one that saved you. I'm the one that's provided for you. I'm the one that's protecting you. I'm the one that's providing your identity. I'm the one that's providing everything that's essential to a well-balanced and a good life comes from me. I'll use people, but it comes from me. And then he says, Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. That means above me in your heart. You shall not make for yourself any carved or craven image. Because when you do that, you profane it. So when you make something, take something God has given or provided, and you add your own ability to that to make it what you want it to be, You've profaned it and turned it into an idol. And then we went and looked at some of these idols. They're obvious ones. You know, a little statue on your, on your dashboard. I assume none of you have a statue of Buddha in your living room that you come in and bow down to. I assume you have none of those things. So we don't need to talk about physical idols that, you know, we worship in that sense. But there are other more hidden ones. And we've looked at some of those. We saw in Matthew chapter 6 that the cares of this life, the worries of life can become an idol to us. Because when you worry about something, where you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, how am I going to pay my bills, where is this going to... When you worry about those things, what you're saying is God's not going to take care of you. Because if you know God's going to take care of you, there's nothing to worry about, is there? My wife would get, you know, when her family would go on a trip, they'd get get in the back of the car and she and her sister would cover up with a blanket and they'd just snuggle back there and play games together. They didn't worry about whether there was going to be enough gas. They didn't go check the gas tank before they left because they had confidence their father would provide what they need. So they just enjoyed the ride. And that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to enjoy the ride. Yes, He wants you to work. Yes, He wants you to be diligent. Yes, He wants you to do listen. But He wants you to enjoy the ride. Why? Because He's your provider. Jesus said, don't you know your father knows what you need? Before you ask him, that means he's already looking over your life saying, oh, you need this, you need this, you're going to need this next month. You're going to need this next year. That may be why he's told you to sow seed now. <laughs> oh, I catch on so that ne- later when this need comes up, he's already in a position to meet that need because the seed's already in the ground. Oh, maybe he does know what he's doing. <laughs> and see, when we worry, what we're saying is, I'm in control here. I don't trust God's going to do it. Therefore, I'm going to take control. And the fact that you're worrying shows you're doing a tremendous job. (laughs) Look at all the confidence you have in yourself. And that's what happens. Instinctively, we know that we're not trusting in God. We're afraid. We'll cover it up with all kinds of ways. But the fear is because somehow I know this isn't in God's hands. This is in mine. And I have reason to fear. And that's what we worry. So we looked at those. 
Then we looked at something that's a little harder to recognize. We saw Abraham, that God gave to Abraham a son, Isaac. And God said, the destiny of you and of my plan for this earth is going to come through this boy. And then God made him, convinced him, no, it's not you, it's not me plus some other plan you come up with to help me. It's going to be the way I said, I'm giving this boy to you, he's yours, love him, and I'm going to bless the world through him. And then God did a strange thing. He said, now that you love this boy that I've given to you, I want him back. So we saw that another idol, a hidden idol, or something God's given us that's good. It may be your children, it may be your spouse, it may be relatives, it may be a house, or it may be a talent, it may be a calling, it may be an anointing, whatever, it's something that God has given you that's good, that's even part of His destiny for you, but He does not want that to take His place in your life where you start to draw your meaning and your value and your sense of security from that gift, that talent, that calling, that spouse, that child. And that's so easy to do. You invest your life, 20 years of your life in that child, and they decide to go up and do something you don't want them to do. They actually go serve God somewhere else. But, but, that's, but, 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 God, but God, but He belongs to them. He doesn't belong to you. They become an idol when we're using them to fill some need in us that comes only from God. Then last time we looked in Philippians chapter 3 and we saw the Apostle Paul wrestle with this because he went through and described, he said, I don't trust in my flesh anymore because this is the kind of things I could present to you as the proof of, what, of, of my confidence. And he goes through his resume. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. We went through all those elements last week and saw that they were basically things Paul used to put his confidence in for his identity. This is who I am. Not only am I a Jew, I'm one of the best of them. Not only am I one of the best of them, I come from one of the favorite tribes. Not only do I come from one of the favorite tribes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a scholar of the Jewish faith. And of zeal, my intention and my passion for the things of the Jewish faith and of God are without question. And that's how he saw himself. But then he began to recognize that that's what stands in his way of knowing Christ Jesus. So he said, I've chosen to count that all as rubbish for the surpassing value. I see something that's more valuable to me than what I've gotten from all these stuff. And what's more valuable is to know him at a different level. The word know him there is gnosis, which is used, implies a very personal, close, living relationship. It's not a head knowledge. It's a heart knowledge by experience and by walking together. Paul's saying, I couldn't hold on to the other things I've trusted in and yet know him this way. See, the more of these things you hold on to for yourself, you are blocking a knowledge of Him at a deeper level because you can't trust in both. Your stuff and Him. And by stuff, I don't mean cars and things like that, although it could be that. It's the things we've been talking about. So I want to pick up here because there's some things that have come up, and, and I, I almost just ended it here and went on to the next one, which we will get into this morning. But, but, the, but I want to finish something here because I think it will help you. 
because I realize we're stepping into areas and people are getting questions. I've had some questions come to me. Pastor, is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? Is it okay to do this? We'll finish this process and then I'll answer some of those questions. And then we'll get into another one. All right. Paul goes on to say that I may know him, verse 10, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, that I may be conformed to his death. And if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12. Now look at this. This is encouraging. Not that I've already attained it. Or I'm perfected, that means completed. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself as having apprehended or arrived. But one thing I do, forgetting those things that lie behind and reaching for those things which are ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upper call of God that's in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. Paul hadn't arrived yet. That tells me this is a process. And so the first thing I want to do is explain to you the process. Because for some of you, it's the first time you've even thought of some of these things being an idol. And the tendency when we begin to hear these things is we go into our head and start going on a hunt of our life. What could be, is this an idol? Is that an idol? Is this an idol? Is that an idol? Paul didn't do that. Paul allowed the Spirit of God. See, the process by which God works with you and me is He'll take His Word, He'll plant that, if you'll plant it in your heart, the Spirit of God will take that Word like a flashlight down inside. And it'll say, ah, here's what I want you to look at. But see, if we go around, we go around poking at things and look, and he's, He knows what He wants to address in your life. Because he'll pull out the things he wants. See, that way he's in control and you're not in control. It's a process. The second thing about this is, is well, I remember when I got saved that, that I didn't have, fortunately, people telling me, now you're saved, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do this, and you've got to do these things. I just began to read my Bible and pray. Now, I never smoked. I didn't chew. And I didn't run, with pe- run around with people that do. But I did enjoy a nice drink when I got home. Maybe a couple. And I didn't particularly like the feeling of getting drunk, but I did like the taste. I didn't like that sense of being out of control. And I would come home and I'd had a tough day and I'd, you know, mix that drink and sit there and read my Bible and the drink. The kids were around. I nobody told me it was wrong. But listen to me. After a while, something began to bother me in here. I'd look at that drink, and something would just trouble me inside. And I didn't know what it was at first. I didn't realize it was the Holy Spirit who was beginning to convict me this was something He wanted out of my life. It wasn't in my head. It was coming out of my heart. Now, there's some things you don't need to wait for conviction about, The Bible says, do not lie. The Bible says, do not steal. The Bible says, do not commit adultery or fornication. You don't need to pray about it. You just don't do it. If you're doing it, you repent, you quit, and you just go back to God and start your life over, start that over again. Not that over again, but you start living right right before God. That's what some people, yeah, that's what some people do. They repent and go start over again. 
what will happen is after a while, you won't be able to repent. That's a warning for somebody. Because what you're doing is you're presuming upon the grace of God. You're saying, I know that grace will always be there so I can do what I want to do. That grace is there for when you slip, you stumble, you fall. Which we've all done that. But, but, the, but to say, I'm going to go intentionally sin because I know God, that's presuming on the grace of God. And that's dangerous. Because you're treating something that's sacred as profane. And it's not that God's going to get angry at you. You're going to cut yourself off from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then you're trying to deal with things on your own. And you have already proven what good a job you can do. At least I have. All right. So, the, so, so what happened is, so then I finally realized what was wrong. I didn't want my kids developing, doing this. God just began to open my eyes. I have young children. So one day I took them, night, I took them over to the sink, opened my liquor. I had some expensive stuff in there. And I unscrewed it, and I went like this, and I dumped it out in front of them. And it felt so good. Nobody told me I had to do that. That was in here. So allow the Spirit of God to show you those idols. We teach and preach on those so He has something to use to show you in your life. So don't go running around, is this okay, is that okay, is this okay? It's not whether that's okay, it's what your heart's trusting in. And only the Spirit of God can reveal that to you. Okay? All right. So... It's a process. The second thing is forgetting what lies behind. That tells me I'm on a journey. There are things that I've already been through. Leave them there. And there's a place where my eyes have got to be on where I'm going, not on where I've been. I shared with the first service, one of the things I used to do, and we're not talking much about bad things. It can be good things. We go on vacation, you know, and I come back, and, and, and I start the next week or so, I keep remembering what I was doing last week at this time and then what I was doing two weeks ago at this time. And the Lord stopped me one time in here. and he says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm remembering what this vacation was. He says, no, you're trying to get rekindle what you were experiencing a week ago so that you can enjoy it again today. There's nothing wrong with going back and looking at memories and things like that, having pictures, but it's what you're doing with them. What I was doing with it, I was trying to draw today's strength from what I experienced last week. And I started to say, what's wrong with it? And God says, what you're saying is, I'm not enough for you today. Then I began to do what I would do is we'd go on vacation, and let's say we had a week's vacation. Somewhere around halfway through the week, I'm starting to get uptight because I realize it's going to be over in two days. The result of which, I don't enjoy the last two days. In fact, I could get unenjoyable to be around because I, because I was not, because I was uptight about, I got to go back. So I lose. Then it got so bad, I would get uptight before we went. Because it's good. Now, don't tell me I'm the only one that's ever done that. <laughs> You're human too. That, but it was a lesson in this. When the Lord freed me one time, He said, Son, who provided that vacation for you? I said, Well, you did. He said, You think I got more? He said, The reason you're trying to hold on to it is because you're using that vacation as the source 
of your rest and of your, and of your enjoyment, and you're not using me. Because I come back with you, he said. That set me free. So I'd send the last day, say, Lord, thank you for this wonderful time you gave us. I know you've got more. Not only that, not only, not only if this is over, but my wife's going back with me and you're going back with me. That's all I need. See, I was seeing that as the source of everything I needed to get out of it. And when I tried to hold on to it, so forgetting what lies behind, you press on to the upward call. Upward what? Higher levels of knowing Him. Upward of greater, greater being drawn into Him. And that's where our goal is. Now, turn with me to Exodus. And we're going to look at the last idol. We won't get through it today. The last idol that we're going to study. So we've looked at the cares of this world. Turn with me to Exodus 24. We've looked at the cares of this world. We've looked at the blessings that God has given to us. And we've looked at our self-image and our reputation and our accomplishments and seen that they can become idols if we're putting our confidence in them. Exodus 24. Now this follows the scene I talked about a few minutes earlier where God is on the mountain, is giving these Ten Commandments. And then Moses comes down, and we're going to pick up in verse uh, Exodus 24, uh, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So he's calling Moses back up the mountain. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up on the mountain to God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. And indeed, Aaron and Ur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. So he brings Joshua with him partway up the mountain, sends Aaron and Ur back down into the camp, and puts the people in charge of Aaron. Big mistake. But all right, that's what he does. All right. Verse 12, then Moses goes up on the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of a cloud. Boy, we're in a hurry to hear from God. Moses is in his presence, and it took six days. Interesting, isn't it? Moses was actually in the cloud, and it took six days before he heard God speak to him. The sight of the glory, verse 17, of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. This is what it looked like down in the valley to the people. In the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went up in the midst of the cloud and went to the, up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, verse chapter 25. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring to me an offering from everyone who gives willingly with his heart. You shall take for me an offering. And this is the offering which you shall take. And he lists things, gold, silver, bronze. So he talks about precious metals. He talks about precious cloth of different colors. And they're in a wilderness. They were just slaves in Egypt. Where'd they get all this stuff? Well, in Exodus 12, we see before they left, God tells them to ask of the Egyptian women their goodies, the bling bling. <laughs> ah, I knew you'd know what that is. And the women were so anxious to get rid of them because they just lost their firstborn. 
because of the Egyptian, because of the because of the Israelites. It says there that they plundered Egypt. So they took their gold, their earrings off, they took their jewelry off, they threw it at the Egyptian, at the Israelite women, and said, "Get out of here." And so they walk out of bondage, rich, Amen. blessed. Amen. All right, <laughs> show it off in the wilderness. Who's going to see in the wilderness? It's just like God to give you something and there's nobody to show it off to. <laughs> but here's why he gave it to him. Notice this. He says, go down and receive an offering. That just sounds like church, doesn't it? Receive an offering to those who are willing. God doesn't take off. You notice we don't take offerings. To take an offering means we come down there and pull it out of your pocket. It does. Isn't that what take means? To, you have something, you don't want to give it, we take it away from you. You receive because it must be given out of the willingness of the heart or God doesn't want it. Because God doesn't need our money. It's the heart that's attached to that thing He wants. But He had a purpose. Because now on, after this, He's on the mountain with Moses and He's going to give him the pattern for Moses to construct a little church called the tabernacle. And God says, I want you to construct this, and I will give you the pattern for it. And I will come and dwell in your midst in this tabernacle. That's what the word tabernacle means. If you want to know more about it, we don't have time to get into it today. I wrote a book about it. We have it in the bookstore called The Tabernacle of Moses in the Wilderness, or why study an old tent. It will take you through the tabernacle, what the different parts were made of, what their significance is, and then it will tell you why it is so important for us because it represents our walk and our relationship with God. And so, so he gives Moses this instruction. And now we're going to go over to chapter 31. Verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Look at this. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge, in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works to show in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, to work on all manner of workmanship. And then he says, I've appointed some others to help them. And somebody asked me, you know, well, but you said, and I, not I said, God said, you shall not make for you any carved image. You shall not take something I've made and add your skill to it because you changed it into what you want, not what I made. So, well, how about these things? Well, here's the difference. God says in Exodus 20, you shall make no image for yourself. This, these are implements that God commanded Moses to make for God to dwell among them. And God gave Moses and he gave Bezalel and these other workmen God's anointing so that they could be made in the exact shape and form that God ordained them to be made in. So it's still God's idea. It's still God's pattern. It's still God's design, not man's design added to God. You see that? 
So he's given them all that. He's given them the gold, the silver, the beautiful the beautiful linens and cloth. He's given them the anointing all so that they can construct a tent with the appropriate equipment where Jehovah God, who brought them out of Israel, can come and dwell in their midst. He's no longer just going to be on the mountaintop. He's no longer going to be in heaven, but he can now begin to meet the desire of his heart and dwell among his people. They can't see him in all his glory because they'll die if they do, but he's designed a system whereby he can be there even though they can't fully see him. They can see his cloud and his fire, but they can't see his glory. That's why he gave them all these things. Chapter 32. We're now going to look at what I call the most dangerous idol of all. They're all bad, but this is the most dangerous because it's the most subtle. It's the most dangerous because of all of these, you can be missing who God is and think you've got it. Exodus 32. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron. Now what's happened is Moses has been on the mountain now for about 40 days. He's in a cloud. They don't know what's happened to him. The last they saw him, he was heading up the mountain. The people that went up with him came back down, but Moses is still up there. 40 days in that cloud. Now look at what they say, because your words reveal your heart under pressure. In church, they don't mean much. It's under pressure. Your words out of the heart, out of the mouth comes the abundance of the heart. So we'll see what their thinking is. Come, they went to Aaron and said, Come, let us make gods or a god that shall go before us. For as this Moses, listen to this, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Now, what does God want them to know of him? God wants them to understand he brought them out of the land of Egypt. They didn't get that. All they see is Moses brought them out of the land of Egypt. They've got their eyes on Moses and not on God who led Moses. Now what's happened is because the man that they could see is on the top of the mountain and they can no longer see the one who they were following, they're getting afraid. This is why the Bible teaches us it's so crucial to learn to walk by faith and not by sight because you cannot walk under God's guidance unless you walk by faith because you can't see the one who's leading you. We go so much by how we feel. Oh, I feel God's presence. What happens when you get up some morning and you don't feel His presence? I want to, don't, you promise not to tell anybody? When I got up this morning, had my cup of coffee, read my Bible, I went downstairs to pray. I didn't feel anything. <laughs> and it's Sunday morning. 
and I'm going to have to come and speak for God to you. If I didn't walk by faith, I'd still be in my basement. God! But I have a confidence in His Word that says we have bold and confident access to the throne of grace. So whether I feel Him or not, He's there. It's amazing how the feelings tend to come then. But they didn't understand that. They had to see Him. And when the one that they trusted in, they couldn't see anymore, they became afraid and turned to someone else. They could see Aaron. And they said, come, make for us gods that will go before. In other words, we need a God we can see who can lead us because we are only led by something we can see. Now look what Moses, Aaron did. Better answer it, maybe God. <laughs> Don't look at your caller ID. Just <laughs> we don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the earrings, the gold earrings, which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the gold earrings which are in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it. Thou shalt not make for yourself any fashioned image. He fashioned it with an engraving tool and molded a calf. Why? Because that's one of the images that was worshipped in Egypt. But notice, the Egyptians had names for their gods. But he makes this calf into the image that he'd seen in Egypt, but he doesn't call it the name of the god that it was named in Egypt. One of the primary gods of Egypt was Molech. No, look at what he says here. This is so important for what we're learning today. He said, brings this molded calf, a molded calf out, and presents it to the Israelites and says, this is, this is your God, Elohim, O Israel, look at this, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. He's not saying to them, hey guys, let's go into some pagan religion, and let's borrow their gods, and let's worship their pagan gods. That's not what he's saying. This is so important to get. He's saying, oh, we're a people that worship Jehovah. We are covenant with Jehovah God. But we can't see Him right now. So let's do this. Let's make for ourselves this image, and we'll call this Jehovah, who brought us out of the land of Egypt. Here's why this is the most dangerous one. This is not saying I'm going to go worship foreign gods. I'm going to go worship Satan. I'm going to go worship Molech or any of Asheroth or any of those gods of the Old Testament. No, I'm going to worship Jehovah God. He's our God. But I'm going to make him into the image that I want him to be. That's just as much a man-made God even though we think it represents him, 
as if we made some picture image of Buddha. We're making our own God. Just because I intend to worship Him doesn't mean I'm not making Him into the image that I want Him to be. And the reason this is so dangerous is because we call Him Elohim. We call Him Father. We call Him God. We call Him Lord. We call Him by the right name. And the intention of our heart is good. And we don't realize so often what we're doing. But remember what this is all about. This is so we can know Him. But you can only know somebody as they really are to the extent that you're open to learn what they're like. This July, we will have been married 44 years. We've known each other for a little over 45 years. I'm more in love with her today than I've ever been in my life. Why? Because we're growing in our knowledge of each other. It's an exciting adventure to get to know each other. One of the things I share with couples going through premarital counseling is especially young ones, they look for it because can we make it? Can we go? Can we do? They said, don't look at the end, look at tomorrow. It's an adventure. You don't have to master this. You, the whole goal is to learn, is to get to know each other and to go through this process of growing in, t- together as an experience you're going through together. But if you come to the place where you just shut it off, and this is what happens in marriages so often that have been married for any period of time, we begin to say, well, I know her. Or I know him. So I don't need to listen to her because I know what she's going to say. I mean, when you've had... Breakfast 365 days a year for 44 years, you pretty much know what they're going to say on the other side of that breakfast table. And what happens is the sign of it is, is when one of us starts talking and the other one's already thinking of the answer. The reason I think of the answer because I already know what she's going to say and I don't need to listen to what she's going to say because I already know what she's going to say and what she means behind it. And God got a hold of me a while ago and says, what you're saying is you already know everything about her you need to know. And he says, that's why you're struggling. He says, if you start listening to her, I'll help you listen. And God, when I began to do that, began to open my eyes up to see things about her I'd never seen before, treasures and aspects of her, that I'll spend some time in my beginning of my prayer time, just, God, thank you, what a wonderful gift you've given to me in her. I see this exciting thing happening in her, and I see this in her. Why? Because, but see, if I, what happened, this is where I was doing. And what happens so often in couples, well, I know her, I know him. I mean, you know, it's called the sin of familiarity. So we're going to look now at some of the ways we make God into the image we want him to be. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Verse 1, that he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. Now he's going home to where he grew up. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things, and with what wisdom was he given, and what wisdom is this which was given to him, and that such mighty works are performed by his hands? He's come home. Understand this that when Jesus grew up in Nazareth, he wasn't raising people from the dead when he was 10 years old. 
He didn't walk on water when he was 12, and he didn't have a little halo around his head the way so many of these artists in the past have drawn him. He was a good boy because he didn't sin, but there was nothing remarkable about him in terms of the power because the Bible tells us in Luke and several other places that Jesus didn't exercise that power until the Spirit of God, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's when the power, because he didn't, he used the power of the Holy Spirit coming into his life so that he could be a model for you and me. In John chapter 2, he goes to the town of Canaan and turns the water into wine. And John says, that's the first miracle that he performed. So he goes back now and he's been performing miracles. And he goes into the synagogue and he teaches. He taught there. He, he read from there from the day he was 12 years old on. But they see something different. There's an authority in his voice now that wasn't there before. There's a power in him that wasn't there before. And he's performing miracles in other towns that he hasn't performed before. And they're astonished. And look at their reaction. This, is, this tells you what their thinking is. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Hey, we know his sisters. They're still here with us. In other words, we know him. We knew the little boy growing up. We saw him learn in his father's hand to be an apprentice carpenter. We know his brothers and his sisters are still here. We know him. And the rest of that verse says, and they were offended at him. Why? Because his coming to them now was to stretch their knowledge of him and who he is. And they refused to change who they saw him to be to where he was calling them to go because they were so caught up in the familiar way in which they knew him before. And so they're not just neutral they're now offended because he's presenting himself to them at a different level and they're rejecting him because it doesn't line up with the image that they want to hold on to of the little boy that grew up in their neighborhood because, oh, I never saw this before. Ooh. Because in that relationship, they were in the superior position. Oh, we know him. He was a good boy, and he's a good man. He's a good teacher. We know him. But he wouldn't let them stay. He confronted that image of him by demonstrating in other places his power and his glory. Because the next verse goes on to say, Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. Why? Because they won't change their image of him. So what is that image? It's the image of familiarity. I want to make Jesus or God into whom I need him to be. So one of the mistakes I've seen people make, and hear me carefully, is they'll become intimate with him at the wrong level. The Bible calls for intimacy with him. But they'll call him their best bud. You'll hear, I've heard people talk about him. I may not use that word. Jesus and I hang out together. And he wants to be with you. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But there's an informality about that. 
where I'm making him to be something I need him to be, but when I do that, I'm robbing me of knowing him of what he really is. But I thought we're supposed to be intimate with him, but that's a soulish intimacy. That's an intimacy of your mind. Jesus is calling you to a level of intimacy that is far closer. It's a spiritual intimacy, and you don't get there overnight, but you're drawn to it. But if you won't let go of the relationship that you have with him now, if you insist on holding on to what you're familiar with, you will rob him of being able to show you what he wants you to see of who he really is. And you'll make him into an idol. I'm not talking about a statue. You'll make that image you formed of him into an idol. I'm saying God wants us to be more intimate with him. In John chapter 17, he makes it as clear as possible. He says, my prayer is that we would be one. I in you and you in me. You can't get any more intimate than that, but you can't do that with your best bud because he's Lord. The Apostle John, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, one of the last scenes we see is at that last supper, we see them reclining at the table and we see John with his head resting on Jesus' chest. There was a very close relationship there. But you turn to the beginning of the book of Revelation when Jesus comes back after he's been ascended to heaven and he appears to the same John on the Isle of Patmos. We don't see Jesus getting down at the table again and say, John, come here, put your head back here. We see him standing before John in all his glory. And we don't hear John saying, oh, I don't know him as well as I used to know him. We see him wanting to get closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. Because the principle, and we looked at it last week, is what God's calling you to, what Jesus is calling to you, is what you, you lose more of yourself into him. It's the only way you can lose yourself and gain more. It's the only place where you can lose who you are and gain a better identity. I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me. We're looking at idols, and idols are things that you build into your life that keep you from knowing Him as He really is because you formed an image of what you want Him to be, and that's something you've... And it can be based on an experience. It can be based on something God did show you, but you want to keep it where it is instead of allowing Him to grow. See, a relationship is dynamic. It's growing every day, just like our relationship's growing every day. It's an adventure every day to see where she is and where I am, learn more of each other. And when you see your relationship with God that way, it's a tremendous, that's why people don't want to come to prayer because it's boring. Well, God's the least boring thing that exists. He's the most exciting place to be is in the presence of God. I'm telling you, He is the source of life. That means if I'm feeling dead inside, I'm not in communion with Him. It may be that I have lifted up, built something into me that I'm relating to in place of him. Maybe something that happened before, but he's moved on. He wants to bring us somewhere else, and I'm holding on to this. And, and, and I want to end with this, because look at the next thing of what he says. So because they would not allow him to change how they saw him and bring them out of that familiarity up to another level, they were offended at him because he wouldn't, he, who he was to them now challenge that image that they didn't want to let go of so they are offended at him. Religious people will get offended at you 
when you start having a real relationship with him. But look at the result of this. Verse 5. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid a hands on a few sick, and that means a few minor ailments, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief and went about to other villages in a circuit, teaching them. Feel his heart. These are his own people. He knew Susie over here. He knew Susie had been struggling with this issue all her life. And now he's come back to heal her. He knew Fred, who's, you know, he's had a, had, it was been in some kind of bondage, and now he's come back to set him free. But they wouldn't let go of the image they had of little Jesus who grew up in their community. And he's here to deliver them and to set them free. Notice it says that he could do no mighty works. That image they had of him that they refused to change kept him from performing works in his, their lives that he wanted to perform to bless and deliver and set them free. He could do. He wanted to, but their unbelief, their offense kept him from it. And the root of their offense is he no longer lined up with the image they wanted to hold on to. This is the first one, first part. We're going to look at other ways that we make God into our own image in two weeks.